0: As we live in our homes, some of you are there with your children, and some of you have the blessing of having grandchildren come visit your home and then go home. But uh, one of the things that uh, has always been important in my home as I was growing up in my parents' home was my attitude. My attitude was always a topic for correction, not just conversation but correction especially when i hit those teen years you know when you hit your teen years teenagers have this uh, not any of my daughters but but most teenagers have this perspective that as a teenager i've got it all figured out i've got i've got the answers to the world and life and and i know what's what and my parents basically don't have a lot of sense and 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 then as a teenager you, you develop that attitude that I've really got, I've, I understand, you know, and if my parents would just understand the way I understand, then their life would be so much easier, and that's kind of perspective that you have as a teenager, and, and as you develop that perspective, you come up against your parents like that. My parents would uh, regularly try to give me what's known as one of those attitude adjustments, And, you know, attitude adjustments come in different forms and in different ways and in different styles. As I was growing up, those attitude adjustments were usually uh, handed out with uh, force. I mean force. I did receive physical corporal punishment as a young person, even into my teen years. When My last physical uh, discipline that I received uh, in my father's home was when I was about 17 or 18 years old. I needed an attitude adjustment, literally, I needed an attitude adjustment, so my dad was uh, expressing that desire of me, trying to treat me like a grown-up, and I did not have an attitude adjustment, so he said, you're not too old for me to spank, and I kind of (laughs) giggled. He spanked me. I'm just saying. And, and, uh, and I took it uh, like a man. And anyway, you know, one of the things about having your attitude adjustment, it's usually not fun. Uh, it's not easy uh, because an attitude is some settled way of us viewing ourselves or our circumstances or our world around us. And we have an attitude that's a reflection of the way we view life and our role in that life. So to adjust our attitude literally means that we've got to adjust not just the way we're thinking, but also the way we're living. And, and some of us, the idea that uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks is anti-biblical. It is against God's Word. Because as a follower of Jesus, regardless how old you are or how young you are, you are supposed to be learning the tricks that Jesus wants to teach you. And you are never too old to learn nor are you ever too young as a follower of Christ to get one of those attitude adjustments. So over the last several weeks, we've been having these attitude adjustments and really trying to move our attitude toward Jesus and his attitude. As followers of Jesus, we know that if Jesus has a way of looking at life and we have a way of looking at life, and our way of looking at life is different than the way Jesus, his way of looking at life, who needs to change? I'm asking, who needs to change? Oh, we do. That's an attitude adjustment. And many of you have enjoyed this series, and some of you have despised this series... And I appreciate that. I really do. That means that the Word is having its productive work in you and causing us to really question uh, why it is that we think the way we think and then leading us to behave the way we behave. So uh, today we come to the end of this series and some of you are delighted about that, some of you not so much, but it has been a great series and one that I pray brings forth fruit in our church and in our lives so that our attitude is a reflection of who Jesus is, not a reflection of anything else. So if you remember the beginning passage that we looked at, Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took the form of a servant. And coming and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess, every knee in heaven, every tongue on earth, every tongue in heaven, every tongue under the earth, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that is the mandate for us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. As I planned this series last year, I had a different message in mind for today. Uh, It was a message that focused on how Jesus has a passion to seek, especially outsiders, and make them part of his family, okay? And that was the message, and it was on Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Uh, Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. But this week God kind of changed that, not kind of, God changed that message. And he changed the direction, changed my heart for this message so that today we're going to look in Matthew chapter 25 and we're going to look at verses 31 through 46 and we're going to see how that we as followers of Jesus need to have an heavenly attitude a heavenly attitude. What I mean by that and what we see in this passage is we need an attitude like Jesus, an attitude that is shaped by eternity. Jesus, when he lived on this earth, his attitude, his perspective, his worldview, his decisions, his actions, everything about him was shaped by eternity. In fact, Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus teaches his followers and thus us, he teaches us about eternity. In Matthew chapters 24 and 25, these are the last uh, teaching moments that Jesus has before he's arrested and killed. And so in Matthew 24 and 25, he's giving his, his, his disciples instructions by showing them what the end is going to be like. In fact, when we look at the last part of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25, we see that Jesus is challenging his disciples through parables and through straight-up teaching. He's challenging his disciples to live their lives, to have an attitude based on eternity not based on the mere moments that we find ourselves in, not based upon the, the, the emotions in which we find ourselves, not based merely upon the circumstances, whether good or bad, that we find ourselves in. Rather, Jesus wants his followers to follow his example and live their lives based upon the future. He calls us, as followers of Christ, to have an attitude that says, I'm going to live With the end in mind. I'm going to live with the end in mind. Now, this is in the big theology of Scripture, this is an eschatological viewpoint. This is how we're supposed to live. We're, going to, we're supposed to live today with our heart and mind and our sight set on heaven. We're supposed to live today, not, not out of the world, but in the world. But as we live in the world, our lives, our hearts, our minds, our attitude is shaped by heaven. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're attitude is not being shaped by heaven understand you are not being obedient to jesus we'll talk about that in a second okay so here's what jesus does in matthew chapter 25 verse 31 he's just finished a a, a series of parables and now he gets to kind of give us a vision of the end if this is jesus talking verse 31 he says now the son of man when he comes surrounded by his angels In all of his glory, sitting on his glorious throne. Jesus is painting a picture of himself. In fact, Jesus understood that his future was this. He is the Son of Man. He is the King. He is the one sitting on the glorious throne. He is the one who is deciding and evaluating and passing sentence on all the nations. Verse 32. This is Jesus, the one who is exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember Philippians 2. Jesus, who is God, became a man. He humbled himself. He took the form of a servant and came in the likeness or the appearance as a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Then verse uh, uh, 9, maybe. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. This exaltation comes after his humiliation. And what gave Jesus the endurance to go from humiliation to exaltation? It was this vision of his future. He understood what the end was he understood where he was headed he understood what was what god was going to do and he lived his life through the suffering of the cross with the end in mind the end that that suffering would bring, salvation and rescue to sinners like you and me. That end that his suffering would bring, uh, praise and glory to God the Father, a well done from his heavenly Father. The end that that suffering and sorrow of the cross would bring, it would bring his exaltation. Jesus lived with an attitude that said, I'm not going to base my decisions Merely on the circumstances I face today, but I'm going to base my decisions and my actions and my life and my lifestyle based upon the end. Today, we're going to watch the Super Bowl. Some of y'all watch Super Bowl and, and you will cheer on your particular team. I can't believe I'm seeing Washington Redskins outfits today and Philadelphia Eagles day. There's a Brett Favre jersey walking out right now. We have a lot of different teams represented, but the two teams in the Super Bowl, the Denver Broncos led by that wonderful, incomparable quarterback, University of Tennessee grad, Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning will lead the Broncos to victory today. <laughs> or maybe not. But anyway, Peyton, Peyton has been leading the Broncos, but really it's the defense that's leading the Broncos this season. And then you have the Carolina Panthers who have had an historic year led by that wonderful SEC outstanding Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Cam Newton. And Cam Newton is leading his team. And somewhere on that journey, uh, at the end of the day, we're going to see who wins out. It's the Carolina Panthers or it's the Denver Broncos. But friends, the Super Bowl is the end, not the beginning. When those teams got together and those quarterbacks got together at the end of last season, they were thinking about the Super Bowl this season. They would train in the offseason. They would work and sweat and give themselves to exhaustion in training and study and preparation because they believed that if they worked hard enough, And if they disciplined themselves daily, if they suffered through uh, pain and losses and victories and injuries, if they would just persevere, then maybe they could make it to the Super Bowl. And if they made it to the Super Bowl, then they would have the endurance to win. They lived every day this season and last with the end in mind. We're going to win the Super Bowl. I was watching uh, one of the many shows about Super Bowl stuff Uh, This week, I was watching Mike Singletary, who was on that historic 1985 Chicago Bears team. Mike Singletary, who uh, was uh, a frightening, and still is if you look at his eyes, he's a frightening uh, defensive player and outstanding standout kind of player. And Singletary was talking about the 85 Chicago Bears who won the Super Bowl that year. But he said that before the season even began, at the end of the season, 1984 season, the Chicago Bears believed and worked because they believed that they would be in the Super Bowl and they would win the Super Bowl. I believe as followers of Jesus, we need to have the attitude of Jesus that looks and lives with the end in mind. We understand that we are headed to a destination and that destination is not a home on this earth, but rather it's our home in heaven. And we need to live with the end in mind. This is how Jesus lived according to Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Verse 2 especially says that we're supposed to set our gaze on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross For the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? That was the well done from his father. That was the salvation for sinners. That joy that was set before him. Was the end in mind. And he lived each day. And every word he spoke. He spoke with the end in mind. And every Truth he taught, he taught with the end in mind. And every confrontation and conflict he had, he did it with the end in mind. And every healing he provided, he did it with the end in mind. And every moment he hung upon a cross, he did it with the end in mind. And as he breathed his last and as he gave up his spirit, he did it with the end in mind. That he would bring glory to his father and salvation to sinners. And we are his followers. And we are called and commissioned by Jesus Christ to have that self-same attitude. We must live with the end in mind. When we bank all of our energy, all of our attitude on the here and now without seeing the heaven to which we're going, then we will live an impoverished existence and we will not have And heavenly attitude. We must live with the end in mind. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, he said, Therefore, whether we're present with you on this earth, or whether we're absent from you and in heaven, we make it our aim to be well pleasing to him to whom we must give an account. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, give an answer for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said his aim, his goal was a heavenly, uh, shaped by a heavenly attitude. It was for the pleasure of God. So whether he was here or whether he was in heaven, his goal was the same, and that was to bring pleasure to God. Today, as a follower of Jesus, do you have that kind of attitude? Is your attitude shaped by the end? Or is it shaped only by the now? Today, we must live with the end in mind. But Jesus goes on as he's describing this scene in heaven. And as he's describing the scene in verse 32, he says that that he gathers all the nations together. And as he gathers them together, he will separate them, divide them, like a shepherd dividing the sheep from the goats. And those on his left hand, those aren't good, but those on his right hand, he will say, Come to me, you blessed of my Father, and receive the inheritance prepared for you from the beginning of the world. So Jesus sees himself as king, and friends, The beautiful picture for us today is that if we indeed are on his right hand, if indeed we are blessed for the Father and receiving the inheritance that God has prepared for us, if indeed we are covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if indeed we've repented our sin and come into a faith-living, dynamic, life-changing relationship with God through that faith in Christ, If indeed the blood of Jesus Christ has purified us and made us fit for heaven, then we have a reason to celebrate. So today we must celebrate the joy that's on its way. We need to celebrate the joy of heaven that belongs to all who by faith have received Jesus and have been transformed by his grace. We must celebrate today and every day with that wondrous joy that Jesus on that day, that judgment day, that day of reckoning, he will look at us and he will see not our sin, but his blood that has already covered our sin. And he will separate us to his right hand and he will say, enter into the bliss of heaven. That's where we're going. Now, why is it? that those who are going to heaven act so miserable. Can I just say in a pastoral fashion, stop it. Just stop it. I'm not talking about, you know, we all we all face difficulties and drama and things out of our control and 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 it seems like the vice script of bad things are happening to us and so I'm not saying that you're not you don't have a right to be sorrowful and sad I'm not saying that you don't have a right to mourn and grieve the losses that you've experienced I'm just saying that somewhere on that journey in the midst of your sorrow and pain you look to Jesus and you see That there is a joy that it's on its way. It is the joy of the inheritance that the Father has prepared for us. It means that somewhere, somehow, in the midst of our every day, we begin to experience and taste again this wondrous future that belongs to all who by faith have trusted Jesus as Savior and King. It means that heaven should shape even the sorrow we face. It means that joy... A lasting and eternal joy belongs to all who belong to God. So today I just want to ask you if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm not not saying that you live in a suspended state of reality where you just uh, walking around on the uh, walking on sunshine all the time and everything. I mean, I know that you're going through stuff. I go through stuff. But even as I'm going through stuff, I need to have an attitude that says, I'm a citizen of heaven and joy is coming. I belong to the king and he has an inheritance waiting for me. Even in the midst of our pain, we need to see the joy that is coming our way. And so today, I just want to ask you, where is your joy? I know that once you go sour, it's hard to get sweet. I understand that. That's why many times the church is filled with irascible, sour souls. And then they excuse their sourness by saying, well, that's just the way I am. That's just what I've experienced. It's just the way it is for me. And I would say to you, oh, saint of the Lord, please stop being a reproach to the name of Jesus Christ. For he has said that he has given you joy. And in the midst of your sorrow and suffering and pain, see the joy that's coming. Today, I I know that the picture of the text, and I'm just talking to believers right now, I'm just talking to the church. But the other side of it is, there's a bunch of goats. I learned when I was in grade school a song at church. I don't want to be a goat. Nope. I don't want to be a goat. Nope. Because a goat ain't got no hope. Nope. I just want to be a sheep. Bah. <laughs> Have y'all heard that? Anybody sing that song? Do y'all know it? I don't want to be a goat. Nope. I don't want to be a goat. Nope. Because a goat ain't got no hope. Nope. I just want to be a sheep. Bah. <laughs> hey, great song. Great song. Great theology behind it. The background of that, pas- of that song and the lyrics of that song are this passage here where Jesus separates the sheep from the goat. Now the goats are the ones that are going to hell, by the way. I just, let me just go ahead and throw that out for you. I, I was telling uh, my daughter on the way, up, uh, way in here for worship, I, I said, well, it's kind of a hellfire and brimstone uh, sermon. She went, huh? It's one of those sermons where I'm talking about hell. Guys, there's no middle ground. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell, and that's your, that's your destiny. And the only way that you can get to heaven, the only way that you are fit for heaven is when the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness covers you because by faith you have seen your sin and you've seen your need for a Savior and you looked to Jesus and you saw him as your only hope for rescue and you repented your sin and you bowed before Jesus and you cried out to him, please, Jesus, forgive me my sin. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And he forgave you your sin, and he brought you into his family. And John 1, 12 became your testimony. But as many as received him, to as many as believed on his name, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. And that's your testimony because you are a sheep and not a goat. But there are some here today who are a goat and not a sheep. A goat is anyone else. Everyone else if today you are a good moral church going folk but you have never repented your sin and abandoned your life into the hands of Jesus if you have never by faith received God's grace then you are a goat and your destiny is judgment in hell for eternity there are only two destinies and you can only experience one of the two Either you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. And like I said, today I'm talking to believers, but if you're here today and you have yet to embrace Jesus as Savior and King, don't wait another day. Repent your sin and find life and joy in the arms and the embrace of Jesus, our Rescuer. So today, as followers of Jesus, look, your attitude needs to be shaped by heaven more than it is by your circumstances. It really comes down to that, and I know it's hard. I really do. I get it. It's difficult. I remember when I was about 18 years old, I'd gotten home from a dance. Um, I was 17. Well, came home from a dance. My, my dad's mom was staying with us in Texas for that time, and, and uh, I'd just uh, been dumped by a girl. I know, shocking, right? I, <laughs> I came home, and And I was moping around. The next morning, I got up, and I was moping around. And the next day, I I was walking around, just moping around. Finally, my nanny came to me, my dad's mom. And she said, Eric, what in the world is wrong with you? And I said, well, nanny, you just don't understand. Everything's blah, 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 (laughs) blah. And she looked at me, and she said, Eric, I want you to know that I love you. Your mom and your daddy love you. And God loves you. But more important than that, when you walk around with such a mopey face because you've experienced some bad things, you are a bad testimony to the Jesus who loves you best. I thought nanny was nice. That was tough. (laughs) Can I just say, as followers of Jesus, stop giving yourself an out to be a bitter, sour soul. Stop excusing it. We need a heavenly attitude. Celebrate the joy that's coming. Lastly, um, in this passage, we see that Jesus says, Come, all you who uh, are beloved and blessed, are blessed by my Father, and receive this inheritance that God the Father has prepared before the world began. And then verse uh, 35, he says, For you saw me naked and you gave me clothes. You saw me hungry, and you gave me food. You saw me thirsty, and you gave me drink. You saw me in prison, and you comforted me. people have interpreted this passage in a lot of different ways. Some have said that if you do these six things that Jesus describes, then then you've uh, guaranteed you a place in heaven. But obviously that's not it because we see in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 and 22, people who had done some good things and even even preached and did things like that came to Jesus and said, we need to get into heaven. And, and Jesus said, why should I let you in? And, and they said, well, we preached in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We've done good stuff in your name. Jesus said, depart, from me, you evil workers, I never knew you. So Matthew seven twenty one and 22 helps us understand that Jesus is not saying that if you do these six good deeds that you're going to get to heaven, okay? There's only one entrance into heaven, that is repenting your sin, believing on Jesus, and having God's grace bring you into his family, okay? But this passage is still important. We can't just skate by it as if it doesn't matter. I want you to listen. What Jesus said, again, verse 35, for I was hungry, you gave me food, I was thirsty, you gave me drink, I was a stranger, you took me in, I was naked, you clothed me, I was sick, you visited me, I was in prison, and you came to me. And Jesus is describing helping others as a heavenly priority. Guys, I got to tell you, at the risk of being misunderstood, because I will, I, I, I know this by now, that as soon as I start talking this way, you're going to misunderstand me. But at the risk of being misunderstood, we need to put at a priority in our attitude and in our lives, an attitude of compassion for people who are in need. And we need to stop playing pan pamby with the world around us and acting like they need to help themselves and we need to take ownership of what jesus says right here helping others is a heavenly priority and as it's painted in this passage i don't believe its entrance into heaven but it is a characteristic of everyone who's going there if you're a follower of jesus then you're going to have this attitude of compassion for people you're going to have a heart that beats to help others because that's who Jesus is. Now, if you're here today and you say, oh, I, I, you know, I think that that's for somebody else to do. That's not for me. That's somebody else's assignment to help people in need. That's not mine. Or you have this attitude, uh, you know, uh, God helps those who help themselves, which is a lie from the pit of hell. You have this attitude that they need to take care of themselves, take care of your own. If that's your attitude and that's the, that's the dominant attitude that you have, then you need to ask yourself, first of all, whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. And then if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to repent your sin and allow the attitude of Jesus to cover your attitude and to change gratitude. Now, I know that's harsh, and I know that's hard, and that's not fun to hear, but guys, I got to tell you, Jesus didn't say, come enter this inheritance, for you read a lot of the Bible. He didn't say, come enter this inheritance, for you attended church a lot. He didn't say, come enter this inheritance, for you knew a lot of spiritual people, or you watched a lot of spiritual TV, or you listened to BBN on the radio. Jesus says, come enter into this inheritance, and here's a characteristic, a, a hallmark characteristic of who is entering this heaven, the people who saw me hungry and fed me and saw me thirsty and gave me drink and saw me naked and gave me clothes who came and visited me when I was alone and came and took care of me when I was sick and came and comforted me when I was in prison. A righteous turn and say, "Uh, Jesus, when did we do all these things? When did we do these six things? And Jesus said, the day you did it for the least of these. My brethren, it's the day you did it for me. Guys, I got to tell you, when we sit in prideful arrogance in the seat of our own personal comfort and we look down on people who are suffering and in need and we act as if they need to help themselves and and in our arrogance we say, well, that's just the way it is. Um, I've got to tell you, that's not the character of Christ and it's not his attitude. After all, Jesus did leave the throne room of heaven when he could have let us all go to hell. But he cared enough for you to step out of heaven and to help you. And that is the paradigm that we're supposed to follow. Do you have an attitude of compassion? It would have been easier if I just skipped over this one. But it wouldn't have been faithful to the text. If we're going to have a heavenly attitude, it's, it's going to be marked by an attitude for helping others. Because that is a heavenly priority. So here we have the attitude that's, that, that's shaped by our eternity. We have an attitude that lives with the end in mind. Not merely making decisions based upon how we're feeling right now. But making our decisions and living our life based upon the eternity that we're headed. To which we're headed. We're celebrating the joy that's on its way and that's come through Christ. And, and we, 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 we set our hearts with an attitude of helping others because, after all, that is a heavenly priority. So do you have a heavenly attitude? And if not, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I beg you, don't be stubborn, but surrender to Jesus and let him give you the right attitude would you bow your heads please